Welcome to Coach Chefs, the podcast for hungry web developers. I'm your host, Vincent, and with me is... Herman Gamboa. And yes, Vincent's voice just actually goes that low during the intro. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone everyone always always gets shocked. Oh, I, 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 I know. We had we had Jocks on our last one. He's like, Vincent, I never heard you sound like that before. You have a good radio voice. You just do that all the time. It's like, oh, that, that takes a lot of effort, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, back to your regular schedule programming. Anyways, so we have a, a really cool topic for today. Today, uh, we're talking about automatic code generations and also challenges running a startup. And so we have a, a guest here today, and we have Tosh. And Tosh is the founder of Copycat Dev, some context of what that is. So it's a plugin for Figma. And if you have never used Figma before, Figma is a tool for sketching out UI or UI mockups for you know designers to hand off to developers to kind of automate like the design developer workflow. And it's all web-based as well. But they also have plugins that you can install on Figma to kind of give you more superpowers to automate your, your, your development workflow. And Copycat is one of those plugins. And what it does is it kind of automates some of your design to developer handoffs for automating React development. And, and kind of some context, Tosh is the founder of Copycat Dev. He's also a, a musician who's been playing violin as a kid and currently learning drums are getting better at playing drums. He likes old school rock and he just moved to Philly recently from India. And before that he was managing, you know, his company from, from India, like in in a remote global sense. So Tosh, could you, you know, maybe tell us more a little bit about yourself that maybe I haven't mentioned or maybe more about like copycat dev or kind of like how you started or anything along those lines, just like your first thoughts. Yeah, for sure. Happy to talk a little bit more about if I'm talking about too long, let me know. Hi, everyone. I'm Paratosh. I'm the CEO of Copycat. To give a quick summary about Copycat, we take in Tecma Designs, as Wins mentioned, and we it's instant, it's has a Figma plugin, so you can just right-click anytime, select your design, and within a couple of seconds, it will generate broken-down code for you. So it tries to recognize different components, such as buttons, inputs. If you have existing code or existing CSS, SCSS, you can import that. So it's going to use your existing code as well to generate those designs. And the goal is just to give you a head start. It's not to necessarily get everything done. But instead of you as a developer having to spend time setting the right shadow, padding, spacing, just take in all of that information that's already there in the design and give you there, give it to you within like 10 seconds so that uh, you can kickstart your development process rather than spending time getting all the spacing, margins, and padding right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a little bit about Copycat. I've been working on Copycat's hard earlier this year in January. So we've been working on this since January. We initially started off with SwiftUI, but then switched to React because we felt there was a lot more scope in React. So it's been a lot of fun. And in my personally, I've been working as a CTO before before this role. I've been working CTO and I've done a lot of backend, Android, and a little bit of machine learning. So that's kind of like, the four areas that I focus on, it's kind of a bunch of things, but as in a startup, you kind of have to do whatever is needed and just learn everything just to move things forward. And yeah, it's but yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, so I, I was kind of checking out Copycat Dev, mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, it's forms and features and it looks really cool. So you take like a, like, so you have frames and in, in Figma, right? Like it's like mm-hmm. your artboards and you can put like different components inside of there. Right. Yeah. Whether it's like, hey, I've got a, you know, I've got a grouping for like my 
my menu navbar, a body section, like an aside section, mm-hmm. uh, a footer, like like a standard like HTML layout, right? And you can like you don't have to group them up properly, right? You could just like whatever makes sense to you as a designer. And then you just click copycat dev and then it just like exported or it runs in like a separate UI that kind of like breaks down everything for you. And it just shows right. you like, the code you could just copy and paste essentially, right? That's 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 the point of it. Just copy, be a copycat out of it. And you brought up an excellent point where like, you know, designers group and think of things differently as developers. We think of everything as, okay, this is all an entire group and this is a reusable component. Quite often, designers don't think about things the same way. They're just putting things together or just making like a rectangle with the text in it and not necessarily grouping the two as a button or something. So it's for us to kind of do that grouping and figure out that, okay, yeah, this should be a group and this should not be a group. That kind of just becomes like a small, incredible challenge by itself. And the second thing is not getting anything hardcoded, right? Like a lot of problems that I had with code generation tools before was that they would hard code everything down to the pixel where it's like, okay, this is a five pixel gap, six pixel gap. And then if you copy paste that code, it's a mess because you're now dealing with 20 different screen sizes and whatnot, and nothing makes sense in that code and there's too much hard coding. So that's the other big challenge that we had to overcome and figure out, okay, how do we kind of figure out how how something is a bit more responsive and how to make sure that if nothing is hard coded, everything is fluid as you or I would write when we're writing code. Well, this is really cool. Like, mm-hmm. I, I was just—I mean, yeah. There's there's so many challenges as like a front end developer. I guess I guess mm-hmm. your your expertise is more back end, right? And and you just do front end because you have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I initially started doing back end, and then I had to do front end. So I kind of learned. I initially started off with Vue, and then I React, then Vue, then React, and then Android, so and iOS. But yeah, that's the kind of like covered a bunch of platforms. But yeah, I think I've done both 50-50 to some extent. Yeah, I, I have I have a, a lot of friends and and that, that are primary black end developers and are like, CSS, what is this? I don't want to deal with this. Disgusting. I just want to go work on my work on my models and work on my interfaces and work on my <laughs> work on just raw data in my database. Yeah. Front end, we'll just we'll just throw something out there. <laughs> but uh but yeah, yeah, no, I mean that 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 that's really cool. Like, I think I think no cool no code tool generate or no code tool generation generators are mm-hmm. kind of the future. Like, a lot of things in web development or code de- or software development can be automated, and a lot of times it's like if you work at an agency per se, it's like, hey, we're just making the same mock-up for this company and also for this other company. And then for this other company, it's like the same work. It's like kind of repetitive at a certain point. Like, I mean, of course there's different changes, like, you know, different colors and different schemas, but everyone's just going to throw in like a CSS framework (laughs) at the end of the day. And it's like like the same work every time starting it up. So like, I think it's really cool that like that, that you build something like this. And I I don't even know how it works. I don't know that much about machine learning or Mm co-generation. Like I guess I guess like I'm looking at like the video and it like mm-hmm. you you take the Figma frame, right? And then mm-hmm. you like have all your components laid out and then it like automatically recognizes everything. Like this is a nav bar, this is like well, like this is like a main section, this is an aside, etc. How does that how does that generally work? Like how does the like you know like like you specify like CSS frameworks, like how does it know like I saw the bootstrap was what there's like a bootstrap like layout as an example. Like how does it know right. it's a bootstrap? 
Right. So some some things are user input and some things are automated. So the, essentially, like a quick high level of that process is once we once you have to set up your Figma file with us and provide us a link that hey, this is my Figma file. Then we look to that Figma file. We kind of look at all the designs that are there to process all of them, and we save information about that. That okay, we now understand what the file is, what the colors are in this file. So we have an understanding of everything that you've done inside the file, what kind of spacing, margins, padding, everything that you've used. And then let's say when you select the design, we are analyzing it to look for, okay, what, what exactly exists on this page? Is there a nav bar? Is there a side nav? Is there a form? So getting an understanding of that allows us to generate better code, more informed code. Because as even as you and I would write code, we kind of have this understanding that, okay, this is a side nav. So I know that this needs to extend to the bottom of the page or things like that. So having that understanding, if you and I have that understanding, then for a machine to generate that code, it also needs that level of understanding. So that's that's going to take the first part of that process is helping the machine get an understanding. And then it's down to code generation where we essentially take Figma's data as both the data that Figma provides, but also as an image. And we try to understand, and then we try to generate uh, code for it. We generate our own representation of that entire data. And then we generate a specific framework output for it. So that could be React, React with style components, React with a CSS, or whatever that is. That's kind of generated out, out from our system. Now, the other part is actually integrating with existing core, existing components. That's super, super challenging because we have to figure out, okay, what libraries have you used? So if generally right now, the way we're working through it is we ask developers to tell us that, okay, hey, these are the libraries that I'm using. The developer gives us that information. And then we kind of do a lot of matching or figuring out on our own inside where we're looking at all the components that exist in the library uh, and then trying to match it with their designs and then see, can we use an existing component that's there in your library or do we have to generate it fresh? If we can, we use existing things. If not, then we generate it fresh. Okay. So, so that's, that's kind of good. Yeah. So that's how you specify like, okay, this is like a bootstrap row and this is a bootstrap column. When you're looking at the layout, it's like if you if the user specified like this, I want bootstrap or I'm using like a bootstrap component system, then they'll, they'll have a reference. So that's really cool. Yeah. Does it handle like responsive design or is that just like like a future thing in the thing that you're considering? Because that's way more complicated. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's, that's super, super hard because that also now requires you to build in some JavaScript. It's not just HTML and CSS, but that's, that'll also require hiding conditionally or maybe it, it might, I guess along with media queries, it might mean JavaScript depend on design. But yeah, right now it's more so that it will handle different screen resolutions if it's 1080p or whatever, but it's not going to go mobile to desktop instantly to some extent because I don't know if I need to hide or like convert it into a hamburger menu or just leave it like that. That's our information that the AI or like our algorithm have right now. So it can't, it can't guess that for you. And guessing it and then making the wrong decision and having a developer being frustrated is like, why are you just making random decisions? This is just like wrong. I don't want it like this. So, so right now we're only focusing on say one type of device size. I, uh, I know. Yeah. I know. When I worked at like agencies and we had to build, we use Figma a lot to mm-hmm. build out different mockups. We'll have like a, a mobile layout, a, a desktop layout, and sometimes a tablet layout if the developer or designer had time to make it. Right. But when, when we're when we're truly like not feeling like doing a lot of design work, we just make a tablet version <laughs> and just say, 
just extrapolate the mobile version in your head and extrapolate the desktop version in your head. Is that kind of like the same process where it's like, you know, you give the developer the code for like a a tablet view and then let them kind of extrapolate. And obviously they have to clean up some parts because it's not going to be like exactly what they need, but it's going to be pretty close. Right. Um, I think it really depends on the team. Stanley, where we're the peop- the most teams that we're working with, they have like an in-house designer uh, who's kind of, and they know their product is designed for the specific purpose or for the specific use case. So they're they've created those mockups already for both mobile and web or whatever that purpose is. It's extrapolating. Then yeah, I guess the developer has to figure out. But generally, we're working with teams which have a designer who's kind of taking care of all of that stuff. Ideally, but mm-hmm. you know, in, in these things, it's always like. Oh, the sprint is tomorrow, finishing tomorrow, and I haven't really even thought about the mobile part. Let's just see what it is. So that always happens with every sprint, as you as you might have seen. Um, but yeah, we're, we're trying our best to make it as responsive as possible. Also, so so it sounds like you're trying to target like like agencies and consultancy firms, especially companies that just like create and build a lot of different applications really quickly. It sounds like that's like the main target market right like you're targeting mostly not 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 exactly right now right now we're mostly we're thinking with more so as a problem that who wants who who in the team or like as a developer team who has a design system or who has like a figma designs that are built they're adding on building on new screens or new products and they want they want to speed up that process of getting things done faster so we're thinking more from the problem perspective rather than okay, this particular demographic fits the best or this particular type of people for the best. And if you have the same problem or if you feel that pain, then yeah, hey, you're your target customer rather than trying to go after like one specific type of company. Particularly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, like, like I know like when you're talking about like front-end development, sometimes there's mm-hmm. more of like the, we, they call it like the back-end of the front-end and like the front-end of the front-end. Yeah. Um, and then there's a designer, of course, right? But sometimes there's like someone on the team who just lays out all the mock-ups, like lays out the styles on the page, the the core JSX, and then you know another, probably usually more senior front engineer, like does all the complicated logic for like, hey, I need to like make API calls to the service. I need to worry about security, right. worry about all that. So like we're kind of automating like the front end and the front end, like the. I guess like the the repetitive work that that a lot of times like someone more junior handles or, or or a designer can also potentially get their hands on. So this kind of maybe enables designers to like actually take part in development. Does that sound maybe? Um, I think that's that definitely could be true. It definitely depends on a lot of team structure. Like some designers are like, hey, I do I hate code. I don't want to touch it. It's all up to the developer. Some designers want to learn that stuff or are already some extent front end developers. So it's definitely very, very team dependent. You've kind of been seeing things all over, like develop people in, all over the place where they have different approaches to this. And that's that definitely is a challenge, but it's a lot of fun to see different people trying different approaches. Yeah, we're trying to we're trying to save you time in a sprint where let's say maybe it would take you the first three days to kind of get everything, all of the elements on the screen together and then do the back end of the front end that you said, that's like a wonderful analogy and I'm definitely going to steal it down the line. But yeah, so just to so we try to re- remove that that's the thing that from like if it takes you three days it will just not take you one day because everything is on the screen and now you're just like making sure hey this 
looks great. This is structured the way I wanted this app stack. This is important. All of it is fine. And just make the tweaks that you need to make as a developer to the code that we're generating. So yeah, that, that's a goal to reduce that time that you're spending from for three days to the first one day. And maybe even more because sometimes you just get lost in that hole where you're trying to find out where is that one 10 pixel of padding coming from? <laughs> and you spend that entire day trying to figure out and moving different elements and trying to see why does this not look right? But in our case, uh, we're trying to generate thousands of different variations on the back end every time you give us a design. And it's trying to figure out all of those. So maybe we help you avoid that bug uh, altogether and fall into the rabbit hole. I, I, I've been in that situation yeah. where like the UX team or like the, the they call it the user acceptance testing, like the uh-huh people that manually test the application after we deploy it and put it in like a lower level environment. Right. Um, they'll come back like, Hey, this pixel is off by 10. And like, we have to adjust the padding on here. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, it's like such a minor thing. <laughs> right. I'll just like look at the, the design mockups on like Figma or sketch or whatever. And I'll be like, mm-hmm. I just honestly, I just eyeball it. <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. Cause, Cause like, it, it's never perfect from what I've, found like, even when i'm inspecting it on figma it's never perfect either but i know like sure. yeah like you also export it off as an image so like do you actually like check that as well like when you like figure out the paddings and the margins and like i mean assuming the user puts like a you know like oh they select the css framework or it's like bootstrap or whatever but if they didn't select like a framework mm-hmm. how do you like approximate that is it just like like the padding i'm always curious like how do you approximate that like uh, yeah definitely something very complicated that we were <laughs> like even i was fixing some bugs in it just yesterday it's it's definitely more so that we're we're generating a lot of potential possibility mm-hmm. and then trying to figure out okay this is what looks right to our algorithms or like this this is the most correct version of it based on how well it matches to your design and then looking at it across different resolutions maybe so not just like because if you hard code it and assume that everyone's going to have a 1080p screen, that's not going to work out. So it's it has to try it across maybe different screen sizes and then try to figure out, okay, yeah, if I do it this way, maybe with flex start, flex end or whatever, combining all these different possibilities, just make the best guess. Let's say, let's put it at that. It makes the best guess. And then in the later down version that we're planning down the line, it will even let developers pick that, okay, hey, we can figure out the best guess. We have these three options. Pick, let us know which one's right. So that way, developers have an input into helping to helping get the right design faster rather than being frustrated by the wrong, it, get, it guessing it, it getting it wrong. Oh, also related to that question, like more of like the design mm-hmm. system and design developer relationship. Mm-hmm. I know, like as a front end developer, like I'll write, you know, a bunch of code. Oh, actually, no, I'll take the designs first. And the designs are like. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, designs are like usually eighty percent of like kind of the idea of what the the vision of like what the product manager wants or mm-hmm. the designer. But it's always hard to like you know showcase transitions or, or whatnot. That's always more difficult. But mm-hmm. but when you take those designs and then like I usually implement them, you know, as a developer, and I'm like we have a design system and and we'll follow standards. Sometimes like you know like we'll find out like literally like. Two weeks later, oh, we got to add this new feature to the design, and then they'll like kick it back to me, and it's like, oh, Vincent, we need we updated the designs. Is there 
I guess, have you guys considered like, hey, we've updated the designs and then this is like the diff of like the previous version of the code to the new or yeah. is that like, what is that? Have you considered that workflow at all? Or I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's definitely one of the more complicated parts that's next in our roadmap is getting that diff or that one of that integrations, right? So that essentially will require us to like take a look at your code and then understand what you've done and then compare it with the design and then see, okay, what's the difference? That's definitely very complicated to where we have an approach for it, but no, we haven't yet gotten around to it. So that's definitely something we're planning, but you know, I, I don't know if it'll be a month or if it'll be three months because I, I don't really know how to estimate it uh, at all right now. But yeah, that's, that's exactly the way you define it is kind of exactly how we're thinking about it as well. Like how do you, how do you make those changes, or but the way we're trying to do it right now is we're just leaving it up to the developer that hey okay you saw a change you're gonna make it, but we do we, what we will know is that okay you've made a change in your in your code so the next time you're importing you're converting a design it will use that updated component that you have in your GitHub rather than just using the old component or converting it to design yourself. So it, it will recognize, it will see that. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I, that's what I figured because it's really hard to create something, a little system like that to see the diffs. And like it, it depends on every system. It depends on every developer designer relationship and every project. Absolutely, yeah. I was also curious, something you mentioned earlier, kind of like about like the whole process of more of like the the general like workings of like how this, how this, how copycat kind of works. So like my understanding, so it, it just like going back to the big picture, like you have the Figma tool, right? And mm-hmm. then you're the, it's a plugin and then you mm-hmm. export off that frame. And then that frame has like, to my understanding, like it's an export of like SVG and like images and it, and, and you take mm-hmm. the image and then you run it through like a machine learning a database, right? Where it's like already pre-trained and it recognizes the image and it kind of like compares it to a database of like scraped images it's found online, right? And then it right. kind of outputs whatever it sends back a request with like here's what it thinks the code is, like in different chunks, right? That that's my understanding of like how everything works. It's like the 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 machine learning model is just a giant black box that's been pre-trained and yeah. But more more so on that though. Well, like, how does that generally work? Like the whole machine learning part? Because I, I don't know that much about machine learning. Yeah. So from as much as I can talk about it, I'm I'm also not like, I have someone in my team, Asim, he's brilliant with machine learning. He kind of handles um, most of it for us. Give him a shout out. His Twitter is Asim Sani. But yeah, he's, he's, he's wonderful with it. And he's kind of helped us figure out that flow of how can we understand it because the way we started perceiving it is like how do we as developers do it right we have to abstract it out we have to break things down and that's the goal of that model as well is to learn how to break it down how to break things down into chunks that can either be reused or that will help improve readability because if we generate code that nobody can read or the developers are spending trying to figure out okay what the hell is it happening or if it's like too abstracted out then then someone will be like dude what the hell this is like horrible code so we don't we don't need that we need we need code that you and i would write that would be able to read so the goal of that model is to just help with abstraction and make sure that it's breaking things down correctly such that you and i would do yeah oh that makes sense and then with like uh i guess like how do you oh i guess that's more toward the machine learning Mm -hmm. machine learning model 
Right. That's all secret sauce. But <laughs> <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on like other tools in the market? Right. So yeah. uh, I, I know like GitHub Copilot just got released right. recently. And then there's been mm-hmm. a few other tools out there. Mm-hmm. Those are more towards not specifically like front end automation to the developer design relationship. It's more like mm-hmm. towards a broader scope of just automation and programming in general, where it's like, right. hey, I want to say like they use GPT three, which is like the the like the open source like machine learning model for like recognizing right. text. Like you just write a piece of text and it just like you ask it a question and it responds very intelligently, mm-hmm. or, or you ask it a question and it'll just like respond with you like with some code, right? Absolutely. Yeah. What's your What's your opinion on like I guess the the landscape of where you see the future of like co-generation tools and yeah definitely learning i think there are like two audiences that are gonna show up here one is like tools for developers and tools for non-developers right i think it's kind of the way it's been structured right now so i think a lot of the low-code no-code tools to a big extent they are targeted towards developers and now there are a bunch of tools which are coming out which are focused on hey how can we improve developer productivity so a lot of people i think put them into that low-code no-code bucket because it's easier for TechCrunch, but actually quite a few of them are like super heavy code. Like Copilot is necessarily not, definitely not a no-code tool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so my perspective is, I think both of those tools have a different set of audiences, both are gonna grow. And the, as developers, we can use both of them. And we just have to, instead of having our own biases, be like, what can help me get the job done faster? Because I, I know a lot of developers who hate no-code tools. And part of me is like, dude, it's so easy. I don't have like, for example, I use Webflow for our website, right? And it's so much comforting that the marketing person can just change the H1 title to H2 or H3 and make those changes rather than me or some other developer in my team having to do it. So I, I love I love no code and that entire thing and all the amount of work that it reduces for other people and how much it empowers the team. But now moving on to the other side, like I've been using GitHub Copilot for a month or two months, maybe more. I, I actually love it. It has it has its uses. It has its things which maybe it will never be able to do, or maybe it just requires a couple of years to get there. So, for example, yesterday I was trying to debug a tree data structure, and I needed to write something which prints out that entire tree. And I just wrote, "Hey, print tree," and put in the data, and then it kind of was able to like autocomplete that entire tree structure printing for me with indentation and everything. I was like, "Whoa!" Uh, that saved me like one minute of thinking or like loop creation or whatever. So I, I I now I'm at the point where like I give GitHub Copilot hints that hey this is what I'm looking for or to complete this code for me. So I've kind of learned I'm learning the game the system a little bit so that it works in my advantage. So I think all developers maybe are perhaps using it that way. I haven't like, talked a lot about it in Copilot, but yeah if it if it helps me get what I want to do faster, reducing the amount of work, I'm all for it. And I think that's what a lot of these tools will do. The part where it misses things is the context, right? It doesn't necessarily understand, okay, hey, this class has all these methods. It's a language model to some extent where it's looking at a lot of other like existing text. It doesn't understand what the text means. It's just a, trying to make patterns together and create patterns together. Its level of understanding isn't there. So it can't actually make a logical relationship that, okay, this class is inherited by this class or this class or and make decisions like, or... It doesn't know necessarily what's in your Figma and what's in your code and get the right suggest that, okay, the button should come below it or something like that. So it doesn't have that level of information. 
but um, with something in the AI, I don't know how far we can get there. But once we start feeding it more information, and maybe maybe we can. But it's it's definitely a very hard challenge to get to that level. Oh, for sure. No, I was just I was just curious what your thoughts were. I mean, it, it's it's sort of in the same realm, but not really, since we're in this case we're automating more of like the design develop relationship instead of like the broad context of mm-hmm. code hinting and, and code generation. Right. Um, so so it's definitely like a different application, but it is similar mm-hmm. in that sense. For right? sure. Yeah, we actually were thinking, hey, should we make it like that? No, of course not. It's not going to be possible for a small team to make something as complex as GitHub Copilot, but should we make it as a VS Code plugin instead? But it's just suggesting you, hey, put all this code in, in here. But so yeah, that's why we decided to, for now, just do it as a plugin. Oh, also, before we move on to like the more managerial side of questions, German, do you have any questions you want to do more on the technical side? No, you kind of asked, sorry, you you kind of asked the ones I, w- I was thinking about. I'm kind of like ready to get into the whole running the startup thing because that's actually really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, 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 not, I've worked at startups before and mm-hmm. I've never actually ran my own startup, but I, I, I used to, when I, when me and our, me and German both met in Orlando, we used to go to the Orlando meetups all the time mm-hmm. before COVID. And that was like three years ago. And I'd used to like stay around this like startup incubator and I'd like talk to all the startup founders like every day. <laughs> and you get to learn so much too. I'm, I'm curious, like, what, what are your, what have been your challenges, I guess, running? Startups is you, you've ran you've ran not just this startup before, but you pivoted Copycat from a, a previous startup, right? Yeah. Um, can you tell me more about like the experience of the difficulties and challenges you've got in running startups, or at least like how'd you get started? How'd you get started in like yeah this area? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, I this was I I didn't know what I actually wanted to do after college. In college, I was studying computer science in my second year or two year or something, I went at a hackathon and at 1 a.m. in this night, we had an idea at the hackathon to build like an app which gives you feedback on your public speaking skills. And we built like a VR stage. So it's like it puts you in a VR stage and you can speak. And every time you say an um or something in that stage, it like all light, lights up or something. So that's the kind of what we'd built. And we kind of liked that idea. So we pursued it. And that was our previous product, this coming to product called ORAI, O-R-A-I. And we, we converted it into an app which gives you feedback on your communication skills. So we launched it. We went through Techstars for that. And we raised funding for that idea. But then that, that's kind of like how I got into that startup process. And as a college student, you have a lot of opportunities to essentially get free money. So we kind of raised like $80,000 of cash just by going to college competitions and without giving away any equity. So we were just like pitching a different competitions here and there, here and there across the country. And we just won 5,000, 6,000, 10,000, 15,000 here and there. And that's kind of what gave us money to put into the company and start building it as a product. Uh, then of course we went to Techstars that helped us get a little bit of funding. And then uh, we raised we raised our first round, seed round in start of 2018. But by the end of 20, uh, sorry, start of 2019. But by the end of 2019, we weren't able to really move uh, that idea forward such that it's a venture-backed business. We weren't able to get it to that level of scale that we needed to for it to continue as a venture-funded company. Maybe we would have made it break even or something, but that like, we, we weren't able to at least take it there. So 2020 comes here and here, COVID comes and all, all kinds of things happen. And we're trying to figure out what do we do, figure out a new idea, figure out a new approach. And 
I would say like for us, that was a very, very hard period to go through kind of as a, it's like a startup stuck in limbo. And the good thing is we have like, we had incredible investors who really believed in our team, who really believed in us. And they were kind of letting us flounder and fail and try to figure out as we went through that challenge of 2020. And uh, for six, seven months, we were just going through different ideas. Hey, what else should we do? What else should we do? While having an existing team who's running the previous product. And yeah, in December, November, I kind of came across this idea that, hey, I want to build something that helps developers speed up their flow. Because when I was building Orion and the front end for it, I kind of hated at some level. After like maybe initially I enjoyed it, but then just to putting in the card, creating the button, creating, importing that, importing this. I was like, dude, this is taking up like a couple of days of my time. And my designer's already done all of this work, pixel perfect on this design tool. And I'm just doing the same thing but with code. So as a product manager, that annoyed me. As a developer, it annoyed me even more. So yeah, I just... I just thought, hey, what if there was something which generated all of this for me, such that it's actually usable, reusable and reusable. So that's kind of what gave the initial incentive for building Copycat. And I pitched the idea to our investors. They liked it. And then I took the company in that direction from there. So that's kind of a very quick summary, skipping over a lot of details. But yeah, but it's incredibly challenging to build a startup and make it work. I think like when we read all these stories, I feel like everyone skips over all the all the like mental frustration and all the lack of confidence, the self-esteem issues and everything that you have to face. Like I, I never I never really managed people like at a company or never been under like any sort of management properly before. I'd maybe done some internships, but actually like to manage people, give them feedback, do performance reviews and figure out how to do it right and not not mess it up. Because it's somebody else's like career, their entire mental uh, process that you're managing. So just all of that learning is incredibly like hard to go through and hard to figure out. And yeah, for me, the biggest learnings were, I would say, there's never ever a silver bullet because you read all these people talking about, hey, this is how to do this, or this is how to validate your startup, or this is how to do it. And when you actually implement some of these things, because I've tried to implement a lot of these, it's it's so hard. Like it sounds so easy in their approach that they mention that okay, do these four things, five things. But when you actually do it, it it doesn't just never really like it's that simple. There's so much more data and information. So I kind of like learned at some level that okay, you need to get information from everybody, but there's never gonna be anything that solves your problem ever. It's everything will come with a lot of caveats and you just have to deal with that fact. So that was like my big learning. And the second is being like learning how to balance myself more emotionally and taking care of mental health a lot because everything is dependent on your mental health. Like if I have a bad morning and I'm not as energetic on Monday check-in, then the rest of the team is kind of going to feel that and uh, maybe have less energy. So if I'm managing my mental health and I'm, I'm being, I'm taking care of myself more, that reflects in the rest of the team. And along with that, I have to make sure that the entire team also is doing that and they're all, I'm being aware of other people having challenges and accounting for that. So I think maybe it's an underset part of startup management, but if your team, if you're able to manage, not able, but if you're able to understand yourself and manage that, I think that unlocks more things than what most people would think about. Because it's not just like working hard all the hours and getting that done. That might even lead you to burnout and it costs you more at the end of the day than the time you save. So that's like the learnings. I know I've been speaking for maybe like 
five minutes now. Oh, oh no, no, it's fine. No, like, no, you're good. It's like, um, it's like you're yeah. hitting you're hitting like everything that I that I've like like all, all the struggles you're, you're talking about are kind of like I'm also starting like a nonprofit for a local uh, development community. It's nowhere right. near as high pressure as running a startup with investors down your throat and you know having like an actual you know, actual employees like saying, hey, what do I do next? And how do you do performance reviews? To some extent, when you're running any group or any startup or any nonprofit or, 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 or company, like you have to think about it all the time and it drains you. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and, I, I can really, I can relate a lot just because even though it wasn't technology, I was manager of a restaurant for like a few years. And everything you say about making sure you take care of yourself and the way you kind of like, the way you kind of project yourself affects everyone. It's actually really difficult, especially when you have a bad day. You might say something to someone because you're cranky, but now that person just took it somewhere and it's gonna just fester. So it's it's always yeah. it's always difficult, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I would say like I feel everyone has their set of challenges, and I don't think like it's fair or to anyone to compare it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, let's say like I, I'm nowhere near the close close to the level of like distress that maybe people who have series A, series B startups. And even more people under them. But at that point in time, to yourself, all those challenges seem just as big a challenge as anybody else's, right? So yeah, it's kind of like I feel like everybody has challenges, and it's, it's all the same. We just have to find out ways to overcome them. No, definitely. Hey, vacation yeah. time is always important. It's always <laughs> important to reset to to like have certain days of the week where you tell yourself, "I'm not going to even think about copycat dev whatsoever." <laughs> This whole day, I'm just gonna go watch TV, do nothing, send out emails in the morning, and then like have the rest of your day not even thinking about it. Yeah, easier said than done, though. Because, <laughs> like, hundred uh, <laughs> percent, very hard. Then it's like, oh no, the surfer's down. We're losing <laughs> clients right now. We need you right now, Tosh. What do we do? Uh, and it's like, oh, do not disturb on. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> or, or you get like a support email from someone that hey. I tried your tool, it's shit. Or hey, I tried your tool, it's great. One of those uh, plus or minus. And then you have to, that's like a trigger for you to like, oh shit, I need to fix this bug. And then that's all you're thinking about for the next three hours. And how how do I get this right? How do I fix this? How do I improve the process? So yeah, it's definitely challenging. Yeah, and the next thing you did is like, oh wait, I haven't eaten yet. I haven't gone to the bathroom yet either. <laughs> Where's the laundry I'm supposed to do last weekend? <laughs> Oh no, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. Ma- managing managing employees is definitely challenging, or, or managing any staff in general. And of course, German has a lot of experience doing that as a as a restaurant mm-hmm. manager. And, and yeah, like I, I've been I've been in kind of the same mindset as well because I've had to do lead development and I've had to like I've had to like train people how to like run our our local development group. And it's like mm-hmm. there's just all these unexpected things like when you're. For instance, when you're trying to host an event, it's like, oh, I just get a sponsor, I get a venue, I get, you know, some food and then get some speakers. And it's like, nope, it's like way more work than that. You have to message people. Then you have to remind yourself to remind other people at some point later in the future. So I'm sending reminders to remind myself and like doing my own task management to manage other people's tasks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, and, and adding on to that, it's like... Uh, there's two parts of it. Some level, you have to come up with that task list. Like nobody's going to give you that task list. Hey, you have to do this, 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 this. You have to figure out those tasks that, okay, this is everything that's required. And then assign it to the right people. I think that's a art and talent in itself and how well you're able to execute that. 
changes your entire um, company or project or anything that you're doing is uh, yeah, coming up with those tasks. But as developers, we kind of want to have like a limited set of problems, right? Okay, I know this is exactly what I need to do, so I'll do this input, output, that's done. But if you have to come up with, okay, what the hell do I need to build? Or th- that's like an entire different uh, thing. You don't, when it's not specified, there's no RFC to follow. Yeah, that's <laughs> tricky. They, they say yeah. when you're a, a CEO of a, a startup or, or any startup in general, and like especially ones with like a seed round is, Everything is always on fire <laughs> and, and you have to choose what you have to pull out of the fire. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I, let this burn down or let that burn down. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw your uh, entry of podcast that you had around prioritization and using those frameworks. And yeah, that, that one hit, hit me hard because it's it's like everything seems, or it's like that Eisenhower matrix, like urgent, yeah, not important. And everything that's coming on your plate, you kind of have to now start putting in that matrix. And that's like another thing that drains you mentally. And you have to start thinking about, like, yeah, I just want to do things. I, just, I don't want to like plan it and then do it. That's like, so, <laughs> but yeah, so you have to kind of put everything in the right place or it's just everything ends up being on fire. The worst thing is Absolutely. like when you when you have to like when you like want to do something, it's like oh I can't do it right away because I have to wait yeah. on something else. <laughs> it's like, you just like you know in your head you can do it in like five minutes. But yeah. because you want to make sure that everything is following the process where you're not taking over, you want to let another person kind of take a shot at it. Maybe they're less experienced. Maybe they're on vacation. But you're just like, in your head, it's like, I can do this in five minutes. But if I do it, I'm going to be, you know, cheating the system and breaking, you know, the standards that we have. And it's like so Absolutely. hard like, to like refrain yourself from like, oh, I'm the CEO. It's like, but I really shouldn't be coding that much. I should be managing people. Like you're always like, at a difference in like, do I manage people or do I code? And like, you can't, it's hard to do both at the same time. I absolutely agree. And when you're developing, you're in that mindset as a developer, you know, you stop thinking about the big picture. You're just thinking about that stupid bug that you're trying to solve or that problem that you're trying to figure out. Or So, and then you just lose track of things. So that, that definitely happens with me a lot because when I end up developing, I start losing track of the, what I need to get done other things i need to move forward and then i have to always take a step back and be like okay what what, what am i doing what is this happening what is everything on the right track so yeah, managing as, as a developer i think doing both the things is very very hard for sure yeah. so so you you must have learned a lot of lessons along the way learning how to delegate because delegating is actually it's a lot of, it's, a, it's a hard skill to learn just because absolutely i completely let go and say like, okay, I'm I'm comfortable with someone just completely taking over, and like it may or may not be good, or they might surprise me. You know, if you're really amazing, and I've been pleasantly surprised when I delegated something to someone and said, "Hey, here's what I need. Be creative and do the rest." <laughs> it's actually worked out pretty well sometimes. Yeah, that's why they. I don't know if they say that, but I believe that it's the people who you're working with make or break your startup. It's not the CEO. It's not the whatever. It's not the investors. It's the people you have in your team and how well the team trusts each other. And sometimes that takes time to build. Sometimes that takes the right people to build. But yeah, because it, it, you can't ever do any all of it on your own. It might seem tempting. I've, I've done that mistake. I still do that. I make that mistake more often than I need to. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think it's it's the team that makes that difference and takes makes something successful. Yeah, that's 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 definitely that's definitely very true. Yeah, the moment you get sick, it's like everyone depends on your code. And it's like, oh, I'm sick. And it's like, oh, we're all waiting on you, Tosh, <laughs> to push the code. And it's like, 
oh, I really don't feel well, but I have to do this. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, like that, 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 that can drain you for sure. I, I, I've, I've like learned, I think more as like a leader. One good thing is like creating ownership for other people <clears throat> that are kind of working under you. And that like, kind of like goes back to like giving people the ability to like put their own spin on things and like being like creative. Cause I mean, if you think about it, the person in the weeds all day, like in the code base, like we'll have a good idea of like how to improve things. Like if you give them like an opportunity to like meet like the, the actual users and like kind mm-hmm. of let the developers actually kind of participate in user studies, at least at least in, in my in my in like the place I work at right now, I work I, I work for Medicare, and like I'm part of all these meetings that like I kind of see what the users are doing, so like I can extrapolate almost like to some extent as a product manager what we have to build before like someone tells me to do it. So yeah, yeah, I don't know if you like considered that as maybe like a thing but it, it, it's helped out a lot for me like actually you know put forth my best foot towards like solving an issue because i feel like i'm a part of the solution if that makes sense absolutely the way we approach that is some we have all our interviews recorded so sometimes we have developers listen to it or sometimes we have developers join the calls as well so we, we do it both ways and then like on fridays we have this team meeting where we're is talking about all the problems that we're facing. And at that point, it helps in two ways because then developers contribute back. Everyone, our team, everyone has ideas. It's not like only the product managers know, hey, this is the next thing to do, right? I think everyone knows what they do. Everyone wants to contribute. So that allows everyone to contribute there. And also, I, I feel the biggest difference it's made is like when, as a developer, you're building, you have that context of, okay, this is exactly, the, this is why I'm doing this and this is the exact problem. So when there are decisions that you as a developer have to make, you don't have to go and ask somebody, you can make them or you you are yourself more empowered to just get the UX right or everything right. So I, I agree with you there. Like if you are making sure everyone's in that loop of customer cycle and understanding, it changes a lot of things. Uh, I'm still learning to get better at that, but I, I definitely agree. There's a really good book that I have at work. It's called, it wasn't on the productivity podcast because it was like related to like running a startup or running a company. And it's called Entrepreneurial Systems. I can send a link to you. It actually describes like how to create ownership at a company and how to create transparency. So like your staff are more involved in like the decision-making process and kind of can like decide on their own, like what to do. Because at the end of the day, you just want to go on vacation and go on break and just you know, sip a pina colada and then everything works right. <laughs> like the four uh, hour week, right? <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel like it's something I, I'm still working on improving because sometimes, I, or at least I still have that tendency where I try to take ownership of everything that, okay, the buck stops for me. So if something didn't work, it's my problem. Like that I didn't make it work rather than making other people responsible for it that, hey, you're supposed to finish this and, or not finish this, let's say, make sure that this is right or this is wrong. So at the end, if I let other people take that responsibility and then grow with that, I think that helps both them and myself rather than me trying to blame myself for everything that goes wrong. The team, uh, it's something I struggle with, but it's, yeah, you know, we all grow and we all figure things out. Do, do you guys set like a, a sprint schedule? Like, you know, every two weeks you meet up or two weeks you like, you have like, Every developer mm-hmm. has like two weeks of work at a time. Like, hey, this is all your task. Yeah, for yeah we, we used to have one week, but we just switched to two week because now we have like a lot more complicated dependency or longer tasks. 
that we still divide into smaller chunks. But yeah, we yeah. So yeah, we do have a two week sprint schedule. Huh? Do you guys do um like do you guys have any like cultural any cultural things that you do together? Because I know like back when I worked at an agency, yeah. Like the one thing, the one selling point they'd always say to all the new hires is like, we do Mario Kart Fridays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so uh, definitely. So we've been remote since a long time, since I guess I started the company and we have people in different time zones. So we try to do online gaming together. The only challenge sometimes with that is you have to find games which don't require ping as much because if someone in the US, someone in India, someone in South Korea, someone in China, so if there is like if you're playing Counter Strike together, that doesn't work. Or like maybe some people don't like that type of game, right? So we try to play board games together. So we saw these gaming Thursdays. Sometimes we do these show and tells so that people just talk about a book they've learned, something they've found interesting. Or we have guest lectures where we find someone interesting in the development world and productivity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we ask them to just talk to our team that way. And some we also do. But other, otherwise, we have retros and other team activities. But it's it's definitely very hard to make sure they're not forced, not make it feel forced, not make it feel, but still have everyone have a good time. Because we can't all go down to a bar and have beer and just talk shit. I've heard um, so far. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. related to this, is it, this is something that you're probably more I'll really experienced with, like managing a remote global mm-hmm. workforce, right? Because you have mm-hmm. developers in India and Vietnam, yeah. I believe, and, and just like all different parts of the world. Has it been challenging for you to like have your daily stand-ups or or I guess do you handle things asynchronously or like do you handle things synchronously at all? Or how does that yeah? Uh, our process, the way we do it is like you set up an overlap period that hey, for this these three hours or everything, everyone who's in our team will have to kind of be online. So that's, let's say for us, that's 8 a.m. EST to 10 or 11 a.m. EST. So during that period, pretty much everyone's online. So all the synchronous work that needs to be done with me asking you, you asking me, that gets done during that time. That also kind of forces everyone to make sure that they have all the dependencies and everything planned and thought through. So everyone during that time can collaborate with each other and not just leaving things through because otherwise you'll be stuck the next day. So you kind of had to, to some extent have it all together and planned out. So that's that's kind of like our structure, but otherwise you're free to work whatever times, whatever things you want to have. It doesn't matter as long as you're trying to, you're getting your things done in time based on what we planned. Yeah. We so did this structure before. We do the same thing at work. We do like a 12 to 4, 12 to 4 ESP, mm-hmm. and it's like you're just online, like ready to respond to messages all day. Yeah, it helps out having like a synchronous time period. Yeah. I don't think I have any other questions offhand, unless you have any German, or if you'd like that, yeah, if you have any German. Uh, no, I was going to ask the remote, like how, how everyone works remote, but you already answered that one. So I guess we can kind of like move on to the cert time because I'm starting to get hungry for the cert. Yeah. Did you have also anything else sense. you'd like to add on, Tosh, about <laughs> um, running a startup or challenges, just anything off, any burning things that you want to say? It's too many things burning to pick one as always. But no, I think I think uh, good good for now. Okay. Yeah, like German said, we we'll move to dessert time, yeah. which is kind of like a segment where we just talk about pretty much anything not related to the topic. It's kind <laughs> of like, you know, whatever's off the top of your mind, like whatever you want to talk about. We could we just talk about it for like five, ten minutes. So uh, I'll kick it off. So I recently just built a new computer, you know, talking about gaming, right? I just <clears> built a new 
PC rig. And I literally had to line up. I, I lined up for to get a graphics card. Like I literally lined up at Best Buy. That was actually my first time talking too. <laughs> it was outside of a store. And I eventually got what I wanted. I got a 3080 Ti. But I, I've been like recently just like retrofitting parts over time. Like I got like mm. infinity mirror like fans that I and like I had this whole thing is like completely RGB decked out. It's right. cool. Like this is like my first real build in a while. And nice. yesterday I had this like problem where it just suddenly stopped working. And apparently uh Windows reset update like trick like changed the boot order of my computer and I couldn't figure it out. And I literally all mm. I had to do was just unplug an external usb port and then everything worked it was like the weirdest things ever <laughs> but yeah that's that's pretty much me german do you have anything you'd like to share for dessert time yeah so lately we've been kind of like just doing a bunch of like rework around the house so uh one thing that's been going on a lot for me is just kind of like we're, we're not going to redo the whole yard front yard the backyard so they're going to come and like basically tear everything up as at irrigation like add irrigation, level it out, add new grass, which it's all of that. And just trying to like think of trying to like come up with a different schedule for me, for myself now. Cause it's like, Oh, well the dogs can go in the backyard for like a month. So got to make sure that they can still like go into their business throughout the day. So I'm just trying to like align my schedule with that. So it's, that's basically what I have going on. Just a bunch of like house remodeling stuff. That sounds like fun. I live in yeah. an apartment, so I don't have to deal with those issues, but I'm also not really being financially savvy in the fact that I'm just paying rent to a place. (laughs) It's not funny sort of mortgage. (laughs) You could you could remodel it, just tear down a wall. I mean, they might not like it, but you could just do it. Oh, I mean, I guess that's what that's what um, the insurance is for, right? The the the, what is it? Apartment insurance. insurance. (laughs) insurance. (laughs) I'm joking. Please don't do that. That's a one way ticket to losing your security deposit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's true. I got holes all over the walls, though. I actually, just got, I actually just got a noise complaint yesterday. I don't even know what I was doing that was noisy, but okay, it's whatever. <laughs> but but yeah, what about you, Tosh? You uh, talking talking about gaming. I've mostly been doing streaming gaming since the past year or year and a half. So I I used GeForce Nvidia's GeForce thing. I got on there like early founder thing, so it's like super cheap. You put twenty dollars, or I get six months of full HD RTX gaming. But the games are limited to some extent, and I'm just trying out Xbox Game Pass. I, I I pretty much love it as long as you're on LAN. I really don't notice a difference, and you're not playing multiplayer, of course. Like if you're playing multiplayer games, I don't right now. I don't think it's that great to do cross streaming. But if you're playing single player FPSs, it's yeah, um, it's a lot. Like you don't have to worry about the rig or anything. You're just you can you just use this simple machine and it's oh. you're playing like 1080p with the highest settings sometimes even higher can i play xbox games on my pc if it's streamed you yeah. absolutely can if you get the xcloud thing that we has yeah because I, I was just doing that yesterday i i was playing a game which i thought it's also there on pc but for some reason microsoft only offers the xbox version online so it's called outer worlds i don't know if you've yeah, 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 I've heard of it. Outer Worlds yeah. is the one made from Obsidian. Uh, Obsidian. Yeah, yeah, the developers from Obsidian, Obsidian, and it's like a, it's like it's a, like a Fallout New Vegas, Fallout, uh, Fallout, but, yeah, but, yeah, but a different world altogether. I thought about checking that out. I haven't done that. I've been playing Age of Empires four. <laughs> right. oh, nice. yeah. 
that, that's been fun. Just like a, a reminiscent, you know, nostalgic game to play back in the old yeah. days. Where this is like a re- remodeled version. It's really good when it comes to like the historical lessons. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite part. But yeah, man, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Like, yeah, should have each other, Steve. <laughs> it's kind of like you. You are in this case uh, German. Like you own you own your own rig, whereas I'm renting and I'm paying for playing games every every month. That's kind of like the house analogy, but with gaming here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. it's cheaper to like use the the cloud gaming just because if you have a PC, PCs right now are like ridiculously expensive. Oh God, build. yeah. <laughs> video card right now is like really really hard although i heard that i don't know if this is true or not it might be a rumor that there might be a lot of video cards to come in circulation again because doubt it apparently Nvidia. no apparently ethereum can't be mined by a certain video card from from some point on in the future i don't know that's what i heard right. um that's a, a proof of stake rather than yeah that, that's just gonna create more basically cards that aren't going to be used for mining and then for gaming instead. Mm. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That's, that's questionable. It. I doubt it. Anyways, I, I, think it's I, gonna I feel like every time, every time they do something to prevent that, someone figures out a way to not, to hack it and then make it work. That's kind of what happened <laughs> yeah. with everything in video slide so far. That's true. I heard, I heard they're coming with like, well, yeah, I think they're coming out with like 40 eighties next year or year and a half. But that's so far down the pipeline that right. video cards are still going to be expensive, and you're still going to line up for it. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that that was it. that's pretty much it. Unless if do you have anything else to add, Tosh, or anything else you'd like to add, German? Um, All right. Well, we'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks for dining with us on Code Chefs. We hope we satisfied your hunger. For show notes and more insider info on today's topic, visit our website at www.codechefs.dev. Plus, follow us on Twitter at CodeChefsDev. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and join us back here for the next one. Uh, Check, please.